Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to The Shakeup, where we explore the business decisions that dare to be different and the leaders who are shaking up their industries. My name is Alexis Gay. I'm Brianne Kimmel, and on each episode, we'll bring in research and data-backed insights to dig into the minds of business leaders and learn how they make the decisions that challenge the status quo. You can support the show by following us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or honestly, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there hanging out, talking business, ready and waiting to shake things up with you. Are you ready to dive in? Absolutely. I am so excited that we're here with Rachel Drury, the founder and CEO of Daily Harvest. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming on The Shakeup. We have been talking about the growth of subscription meal kits and in particular, Daily Harvest's approach, which I truly love. I love the latte pods. You can add your own milk, which I know milk preferences are so controversial and that's become like the new rage is what kind of milk are you using? And so I've become obsessed with the latte pods. (laughs) Absolutely. And we actually just launched milk, just thinking about that insight, which is also a really innovative format and way to make it. So yeah, it's been fun. So Rachel, we've been locked up inside for over a year. We weren't really able to go to restaurants to the extent that we used to and The meal kit delivery market definitely seems to be skyrocketing. But before I ask you about the Daily Harvest business model in particular, I'm curious, why meal kits? Are you a foodie? Are you an amateur chef? Yeah. So we're actually not a meal kit. We're more like a modern CPG than a meal kit. Our food doesn't rotate. You don't have to really cook it. It's already prepped. Hmm. Um, So we're really trying to shake up (laughs) all of it. Would you say you're defining a new category? Absolutely. And I got into it because, yeah, I'm absolutely a foodie. We'll do anything for a good meal. Um, (laughs) That sounded weird, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, I didn't want to compromise. I wanted food that um, was convenient because that's what makes fruits and vegetables hard. But I also wanted food that was jam-packed with all the stuff that I know is good for me. And, you know, what I like to say is Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine, Hmm. right? Well, we've ended up with a Hippocratic oath for medicine being thy medicine, whereas food has kind of lost its way. So we're really here to change that. So here is, in my opinion, what's so broken with food. Hmm. Uh, There are a lot of things broken, but, (laughs) um, you know, one of the biggest challenges is that the way that big food is set up is very um, systemically broken. Hmm. The way that, you know, starting with the investors, right? So investors in big food companies, the big CPGs of the world, are really focused on things like margin accretion, and um, slow, steady returns, dividends. And when you think about how that translates to food, Mm -hmm. right? To squeeze out margins out of food means to squeeze out nutrition. And it's, it's pretty ugly. And the way that they're structurally set up 
is not to innovate. You know, I think case in point is like craft in recent years, right? Like their big innovation last year was launching a pink macaroni and cheese. And you're right. like, what? <laughs> They've just completely lost touch with the customer and they don't mm. have the structural agility to be able to move with modern times. And Daily Harvest is really a platform that allows us to innovate and iterate, co-create our food with our customers. The structural agility to get our food to our customers when they want it, mm -hmm. which spurs this virtuous marketing cycle, which means that customers are getting what they want. And the reason you see us all over Instagram is because if we're co-creating our food with the people who are eating it, when they eat it, they're excited that we listened. Yeah, that's amazing. This might be a, a, a big question, but I'm, I'm very curious, like what drives the demand for your product? Is it that younger generations are focusing on healthier food options? Is it the traditional, you know, family dinner is not as much a part of our culture? Is it because of the struggles of the restaurant industry? What do you think about? Yeah, so I think it's a, there's a few things, right? We're kind of at the crossroads of a bunch of, I hate using this term, but like, here it is. Let me hear uh, it. Of mega trends, right? Oh, mega trends. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I did okay. it. I said it. And now it's a business podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really thinking about, uh, you know, the journey of health and wellness that we were all on, um, going back to a lot of our roots, like, I don't know. I just, I always think back to like, the snack well. I don't know yeah. if, you, if you guys remember, uh -huh. like the snack well was this like big health innovation and mm -hmm. it's like sugar. Right. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think people are just smarter and there's enough education out mm. there where people are realizing that if I stick to the basics, right, like things my grandparents ate, things my great grandparents ate, then like I'm, I'm going to be okay. So our mm. whole food ethos is really based on this idea where we're not going to tell you what not to eat. Absolutely not. We are, going, we are including everybody's eating habits and everybody's eating values, but we're going to provide a base of fruits and vegetables. So our goal is to get everybody to eat more fruits and vegetables. Yep. And then if you want to add a piece of chicken to your harvest bowl, if you yep. want to add, you know, um, to your point earlier about milk, almond milk, coconut milk, oat milk to a smoothie, you want to add bone broth to a soup, like we're, we think that's great. In 2017, you had $43 million in investment, which is incredible. But in order to get that type of cash infusion, it starts with a pitch. And I want to hear a little bit about one of those pitch meetings. Back then in 2017, how were you approaching crafting the pitch around Daily Harvest? Yeah, so... 2017 was, um, I'd say, the point when we felt like we had reached true product market fit. Hmm. So pre fundraising previous to that point, I'd say was incredibly difficult. People didn't understand how the collections that we had laddered up to this bigger picture, to this platform. Yeah. There was a lot of friction in the fundraising process, especially because the people from who I was trying to raise money just didn't see that there was a problem. Yeah. They were like, well, why, why wouldn't I just buy Jamba Juice? Right. And I'm like, I don't even know where to begin yeah. with that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever feel discouraged after meetings like that? Oh, I discouraged wouldn't even doesn't even cover it. Really? Um, I think that fundraising is the most demoralizing process in oh the entire gosh. world. <laughs> and in those pitch meetings, you know, what were you before you went in the room? What was the key message you were really trying to land with the people you were seeking investment from? 
Yeah. So there were two things. The message I was trying to land was just this big picture that big food is completely broken Mm -hmm. and that there's this opportunity and that big food is not meeting customer demand. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I would say it got really tricky wasn't necessarily with the problem statement. It really was with um, a lot of people got tripped up on the frozen piece. Really? Why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, they still do. Really? Uh, But it was really about like, everyone's like, oh, so you're disrupting frozen food. And I'm like, soup is not a frozen category. Lattes are not a frozen category. Breakfast cereal is not a frozen category. How how is that your logic? Um, Frozen is how we make food incredibly clean, unprocessed and convenient and sustainable also. Mm -hmm. Um, So it is the means to an end. And, um, you know, really trying to focus on that, that big picture to, to paint this story that, you know, it's not, we're not going after frozen food. The market is so much bigger than that, right? Our, our lattes compete with Starbucks just as much as they do with Keurig. Mm -hmm. Our soup compete with Hale and Hardy just as much as they do with like a Campbell's. Um, so it really is food as a general category and that's a big vision. And it was, um, it was hard to get people to wrap their head around that being our North Star, but eventually we did it. And the other thing that I was really looking for in that round was values alignment from our investors. Mm. Because when you're when you're innovating in something like food, which is something that people eat and ingest, um, I wanted to make sure that we were never going to end up in a position where, you know, some of the invest investment community in big food has caused a lot of challenge of health challenges right. for humanity. Right. And there was a lot of um, ensuring that our investors were going to be values aligned as well. Wow, that's amazing. How did you actually kind of reverse the pitch and ask those investors questions to mm. give you a real feel if they were going to add value and be a valuable person to help you scale Daily Harvest? Yeah. I mean, one of the tricks when you're pitching is that you're also always selling, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that that I did was I showed that there was great customer demand for these things. Like sustainability is now table stakes. It wasn't five years ago. Right. Um, So just showing where the customer demand was going and showing Mm -hmm. that um, there was also a, a like business revenue opportunity tied to everything that we were hoping to do on the sustainability side, mm-hmm. um, I think was really important part of the story. But some of the questions that we asked to just to, you know, make sure that that people were aligned um, actually weren't asked to the investors directly. Really? It was always to other companies that they invested in and not the ones that they introduced us to. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, those back channel calls where, you know, you ask about a, a time where there was a really difficult decision that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you had to weigh margins versus... Um, doing what was right for the customer. Yeah. Right? Like, for me, that's that's like one of the hardest tensions. Yes. And for I was always going to focus on what was best for the customer. Yes. Um, and, you know, what's best for the earth is also best for the customer. Yeah. So I think it was really in those back channels where I learned about people's values. Because when somebody's trying to close a deal, they can, they'll say lots of things. Right. <laughs> 
I think a lot of people, I mean, outside of the tech industry, this notion of, you know, a lot of key information is passed through back channel, through text messages, through phone calls. It almost feels like as much as our industry is so progressive and so innovative, most of the important conversations and like the critical information that you need to scale your company actually sits through person-to-person dialogue that's very separate from that pitch meeting and very separate from a lot of the direct conversations that you're having. Oh yeah, it goes down in the DMs. Absolutely. And I don't have a very large network. Like that's not never been one of my strong suits. Um, So exactly like sending people messages on Instagram and, um, you know, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, people are willing to talk. People are willing to help. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to spend a little bit more time on your positioning daily harvest as a platform because there's a lot of complexity in how to actually operationalize and turn this into a, a true platform and something that's very scalable. At this Series B, what were some of the bullet points or what were the, the key next steps that had to happen to make Daily Harvest truly scalable? Yeah, so a lot of it sat in our supply chain. Um, but then there's also the collection expansion. So the proof point was that we had had multiple collections through multiple day parts. Um, The way that we had built our supply chain to that point was, you know, we had a lot of amazing farmers um, that we engaged directly with. We still, to this day, do all of our own sourcing and and work directly with with everyone. Um, But a lot of that story was very idealistic, I want to say. And it was a hard thing to do at that scale, even like our packaging, right? Like we had these Grand, these like grand plans to have completely comp- like home compostable packaging. And it was, there's a lot of storytelling there because it was, there's like a scale problem, right? Mm. So you always have this chicken or egg problem when you're talking about physical goods, where in order to make something cost effective so that you can, you know, think about things like profitability, for example, um, you have to have the scale to be able to justify those big swings. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that the the most important thing and the most important like part of the vision to get pe- wrap people's heads around was this idea that we were disrupting food as a category. Here were our proof points, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was showing that there was so much more to it that we had planned as far as um, not only making sure that the business was scalable from a supply chain perspective Mm -hmm. and making sure that we were able to maintain our agility, but also kind of layering in this sustainability piece to it, finding a way to to succinctly put it all together into one neat package without having any comps in the market. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
But a lot of companies that are offering food delivery in some capacity are keeping their offering really simple, focusing mm-hmm. on just dinner or just one type of food. But you have over 60 items for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Was that a conscious decision you made yeah. to offer so many more than co- other companies? Yeah. So we're almost at 100 now. Oh, my gosh. And our brand affords us an incredible amount of co-creation with our customers, right? right? Our, our customers love us. They love to share with us. So because we have this direct link with our customers, what we're able to do is we actually phenotype taste buds. And we understand what every single customer wants and needs down to an incredible level of detail that allows us to create food for each individual. We don't look at customers as averages. We really look at each individual and we create food to meet the needs of those customers. So the reason we have so many smoothies, there's no customer that's ordering all of our smoothies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we have smoothies for different taste preferences and different eating values and different profiles And as we expand into this collection depth, we see different groups consuming over different day parts. So it's really systematic the way that we think about it. And it's really served us well to increase share of stomach over time as we've been able to take this data and turn it into uh, meeting the needs of our customers. Wow. I'm so curious. How did you build that? Um, So we have an incredible algorithms team. Hmm. who um, has really been a key part to our food development. Um, And then the personalization tied to that development to make sure that we're matching the right people with the right food that was created for them. Wow. That's really incredible. I have so many questions about (laughs) sort of like the way that you as a company that is providing healthful food options for people uses data and the way that you use, as you mentioned, algorithms to help you in your product development decision-making. And then we have the supply chain that allows us Mm. to be really nimble and respond in six to eight weeks, which is completely unprecedented in food. Help us understand this because, you know, a lot of other people might be thinking this too. You know, you recently brought on uh, Brad Klingenberg, the former head of algorithms at Netflix and Stitch Fix, which are not food companies. And, you know, you could say are both a little bit outside the food industry in general. Can you tell us a little bit about the need for like a chief algorithms officer with such a background? Yeah. So algorithms are the center of our platform. Without without the algorithms that help us really turn those insights into something that's actionable, um, the rest kind of doesn't matter. So Mm. that co-creation all lives in that world. Our personalization, our um, replenishment platform, which is, you know, you. our goal is not to, to send you food every week. We don't want to do that, yeah. um, which is very different from a lot of the businesses out there where like the period between purchases matches the period in which you're meant to consume, right? Daily oh. harvest is non-perishable. We are hmm. frozen. And our goal is to keep you stocked, mm-hmm. right? So we mm-hmm. really have to get deep into customer behaviors to understand when you need to be topped up yeah. um, and when you need to, to um, you know, get another box that's going to help you keep your freezer stocked so that at that moment when you are hungry, you have what you want there. Right. And helping you find the right thing that is that thing that you're going to want all lies in our algorithms. How do you balance um, qualitative insights as well? Like, do you have a great team that's reading customer support tickets? Do you have focus groups? Like, how do you collect a lot of individual insights from each Daily Harvest user? 
So um, there's two ways in which we do that. One is we have an incredibly passionate care team. Um, One of my areas that I'm really passionate about that um, touches on my background is I started my career at Four Seasons Hotels. And for me, daily harvest is not about marketing. It's not about meeting customer needs. It's about anticipating them. And that Mm. to me is true hospitality. Mm -hmm. And a part of that is how are we anticipating customers needs? So we really um, embolden our, our care team to be a part of this co-creation journey and and Hmm. adding the context behind what we're seeing in the data. That's a huge piece of, of what we do. Um, And then we have a in-house research team that takes the data that we see and ties it together with the emotional, the psychological, you you know, the, the why behind what we're seeing. Yeah. And it's an incredibly powerful combination when you put all of those pieces together under one roof with the same goals. Rachel, I don't think most leaders would be able to see the connections between such disparate parts of the organization or potential parts of the organization, like your focus on hospitality and then this um, passion for data and algorithms. When you were building out your team, were you actively trying to pull from such diverse backgrounds or was it something that came up over time? Tell me a little bit about that process. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if my belief is big food being broken, um, it would have been very hard for us to hire people from big food. So mm. we had to bring in people from different areas of the business world to really be able to do something different. You know, we have people from all over the technology, commerce, um, mm-hmm. consumer landscape, but very few people who actually come from the world of big food. Brianne, does that sound similar to the approach that you see in most tech companies? I mean, I, I hate to, to use the, a buzzword, but to disrupt an industry, you often We said disruption. All right, let's go. Now it started, everybody. <laughs> We're disrupting this disruptors at this point. Um, <laughs> what, what gets me really excited about something like Daily Harvest is the fact that you're applying so many startup and tech-related concepts to an industry that is so antiquated and... So antiquated. I would say not on behalf of the average person. Like, I, I get so frustrated when I go to the grocery store and you see things that are packaged as health, as healthy, but they're filled with sugar. And so one of the challenges there is, like, for the average American, um, you know, myself included, like you want to eat healthy, but if it's it's really mm-hmm. hard to tell from the packaging and from the labels, like what is actually healthy. hundred percent. So I want to talk a little bit about your marketing mix and some of the data personalization things that we touched on earlier. Yeah. So, you know, in a world where startups rely so heavily on Facebook, Google, and Amazon for sales, you have invested in TV ads, in influencer partnerships. And actually, I just saw on your Instagram a friend of mine in one of your influencer partnerships, and I was like, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, subway ads and event pop-ups, and that all sounds expensive. And I'm, But it seems to have paid off. So, I, you know, I would love to know... What was your decision-making process like in making some of those maybe heftier bets? Yeah. So growing up through the world of marketing, Mm -hmm. one of my goals early on was to not be beholden to any one channel, 
right? Like it's really easy to scale or was easy to scale on Facebook. Now it's a whole different ball of wax, um, but it was really easy to scale marketing mm-hmm. on Facebook and on Google and to, um, you know, use the unique arbitrage opportunities to, to grow a business. Um, the landscape has changed significantly, but knowing because I had a lot of experience in this, knowing that the landscape is always changing, it's a complete moving target and something that works today will not work tomorrow and something that works, you know, that works tomorrow will not work next week. Mm -hmm. That's just how you have to live um, in this world. We wanted to make sure that we were equally reliant on all channels. So we went out really um, aggressively into every channel you can imagine to give us that optionality and that agility where we can change our spend in different channels based on what happens to be working at the time. So, um, you know, influencer marketing, mm-hmm. it's a part of our mix. Yeah. Um, TV, it's a part of our mix. But I think the most important thing is that um, even if one thing is working really well is that you keep your spend, hmm. um, you keep the other channels engaged enough where if something changes, you can always pivot and change that mix. That's really interesting because I would assume that because you're essentially going after really large known brands that have a, a, a ton of spend, like if you're a, a modern CPG and you're creating latte, lattes that compete with Starbucks, like... In my mind, Starbucks will always outspend you or a lot of these like big brands are, are so down to spend oh, yeah. money. Um, right. How did you think about like some of these brand activations and more brand building exercises? Plus, like, you know, when you first got started and, and to where we are today, I feel like the whole influencer marketing game has just like completely changed. So how do you think about some of the like branded daily harvest stuff versus like yes. engaging with influencers and people that are likely to use daily harvest anyway, because it falls into like this new category of just easier, healthier eating. So one of the things that um, kind of ties to this platform that we've created and the importance of the agility in our supply chain, people always say like, what's the secret to your really fast growth? And I actually talk about our supply chain, which is not the answer that people want to hear. But the reason why is, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a Rogers bell curve. It's a normal bell curve, like Mm -hmm. a normal distribution, right? I haven't, Um, but I'm picturing it. I can picture yeah, a bell. It's a bell. It's a Great. Bell. <laughs> um, but if you think about the way normal product development works, right? You have an insight and it can take up to a year to bring something to market. Mm-hmm. And if you think about like early adopters going into the early majority and then the late majority, right? Climbing up that that curve, by the time you get to the top, that's usually when big companies are going to market. Hmm. Right? Sure. So our supply chain agility, our data allows us to go to market when it when an early adopter is interested in something. And our early adopters, because we listen to them, yes. become these evangelizers. And what's really powerful is that it spurs this virtuous marketing cycle that like rides itself up that curve as opposed to facing headwinds on the way down where you have to like hire Justin Timberlake to shake his tushy on television. Right. I just said tushy. <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't come on expecting to say tushy, did you? I didn't expect to say tushy. I have a four-year-old and like tushy is the word. That's okay. Um, this is the shakeup. Anything can happen. <laughs> um, but like, you know, having to hire somebody like JT to, to yeah. shake his butt on television right. is because you've missed the insight. You've missed the moment where you've just given the customer what they want. You've anticipated their need. Hmm. Right. So a lot of people think that we have this really expensive, like really robust paid influencer Mm -hmm. strategy. Of course, we pay for some influencers. But really what you're seeing is us co-creating with our customers and our customers being so glad that we listened to them and gave them what they want. We've also given them this opportunity to align Daily Harvest. Like, right, we provide the fruits and vegetables. You align Daily Harvest to your eating values. So that milk that you talked about earlier, Brianne, Daily Harvest smoothies or lattes with your oat milk then become your platform to evangelize for your beliefs and your eating values. Like, like that is just endemic to what we've created. Like that is, that's just a part of the platform. And then Mm -hmm. the other side is, is brand marketing. We will only do brand marketing when we feel like it is going to um, further our narrative. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, when it's going to point out how we are really differentiated from others in the market, because that's the goal of brand marketing for us. It's not about brand awareness. Yeah. Like we're never going to we're never going to outspend Starbucks. Right. Everybody knows Starbucks. Not everybody knows Daily Harvest. But we really focus on those points of differentiation. Wow. Rachel, I'm so blown away by what you've built and just being able to hear some of those insights, especially what you just said about essentially having a fast enough iteration process so you're actually able to anticipate the needs of your early adopters. That I think is an incredible insight that I don't see a lot of other companies adopting in the market. So massive kudos to you. And I'm so excited that we were able to have you on. If people wanna find Daily Harvest products and learn more, where can they find you? At dailyharvest.com. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. This has been a pleasure. Hey, Rianne, are you ready to do that thing we practiced? Oh my gosh, is it time? I'm ready. Okay. Three, two, one. Don't Don't forget forget to to subscribe and and leave leave us us a review. review. Pretty good. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Production support comes from Lauren Schild. Our engineer is William Lowe, with research from Corey Broccolini. And special thanks to Kyle Denhoff and Lisa Toner. Word of mouth is the best way to help people discover our little podcast. Be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review, you know, to let other people know how awesome we are. We have some amazing guests coming up this season that you won't want to miss. See you next time.